0: how many of you guys had traditions? Anybody have traditions growing up? My, my wife and her family loved to put together puzzles. I don't know about you, um, but, but some people do that. Um, and, and they used to put puzzles together all the time. Now, can I just tell you, I would absolutely hate a puzzle tradition um, because I absolutely hate putting together puzzles. Anybody else? Uh, man, it's just not action-packed enough for me, right? When putting together a puzzle, you, you sit and you stare at a picture on a box, a uh, nature, a cottage, or, or a bunch of flowers. Um, usually, it's some like Thomas Kincaid painting or something. I think every picture, every puzzle is made out of the Thomas Kincaid painting. Um, does anybody here like puzzles? I've got a thousand-piece puzzle I'd like to give away this morning. Anybody like it? Hey, we'll go right back there in the back. Awesome, that's for you. It's a thousand pieces. It's a pretty cottage or church or something. I don't have a clue. Um, but see, I just don't get it because you stare at a thousand pieces and you try to imagine which part of the picture each piece is. And an action-packed moment is when you get two in a row, right? But I wonder, what if puzzling became a full-contact, competitive action sport. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time. Let's get ready to puzzle. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance to dance at the Space Jam. All get it all. Welcome to. enjoy that kind of puzzling. Man, I have tried to like doing puzzles, but you want to know why I couldn't get there? Because I, not only do I not like them, I'm not any good at them. And in fact, the biggest puzzle that I have put together in the last 20 years is maybe like 25 pieces, um, and it's the one with the little wooden handles. You guys know what I'm talking about, the preschool ones? Um, here's the sad thing is most preschoolers are probably better at puzzles than I am. Now listen, Tina and I have three kids, and in all of our years of holidays, we have never put together a puzzle, not one. And as far as I know, we don't own a puzzle, and we don't want to. Now, if you invite me to a puzzling party, if there's such a thing, I'm not going to come because I absolutely hate puzzles. A friend of mine recently shared a story about how his family used to put together a huge puzzle, and he, like me, also hated stories. Um, But one year, he found an awesome way to participate with his family. Um, He said he couldn't remember how many pieces the puzzle was, probably like 5,000 pieces. And when his family started putting the puzzle together, he pretended to be interested. And he stared at the picture and, and moved some pieces around. But he had an agenda. He had an idea to make the whole thing a lot more interesting to him. See, what he did is he stole one piece. Now, it wasn't an edge piece. It was just a random middle piece. And he took it to his room. He put it in his drawer. And he sat back and anticipated the fun. Now, remember, this was like a 15,000-piece puzzle that they were putting together. And the very next night, they were getting it together. And they were getting really close. And they got to the end. And all of a sudden, there was one puzzle piece that was missing. And his family lost their minds They started like climbing over things, crawling under things, looking under the couch. They looked under the table. They looked in the trash can. They even started blaming the dog. And and so they couldn't find it. And it ruined it because one missing piece ruined the entire puzzle. Now, just in case you think my friend was cruel, he wasn't. Um, about two hours after they started looking for it, he snuck back into the kitchen and threw it underneath the table. Um, and then they, one of his sisters, found it, and they were like, "Oh my gosh, how did we miss that? I can't believe we found it!" And they put it together, and everything was right in the world again. Right? They inserted that missing piece, and everything was better. Now, it's not just puzzles. One missing piece can ruin a lot of things. This is a great suitcase. It's carefully packed. But you see, missing one thing: a zipper. One missing piece ruins the suitcase. Now, I love brownies. Anybody else in here love brownies? Nobody? Okay, a couple people. Am I going to give it away? No, you want to know why I'm not going to give this away? Because a brownie without icing is just a useless lump of chocolate-flavored bread. It is. It's terrible. Why would you want to put this in your mouth? It is terrible. Listen, if you forget the icing, that missing piece makes the brownie trash. No one wants a brownie without icing. And if you do, there's something wrong with you. Now, listen, this table right here is a nicely handcrafted piece of furniture. But you see, there's one problem. Without the top, it renders it useless. Now, this is a nice electric guitar. I love playing guitar. It's one of my favorite things to do. Right? You can play rock and roll. Right, We've seen videos of Keith in his room. Well, he's not headbanging because he doesn't have any hair, but he, he's, he's going after it. You can play country music, Anybody, any country fans in the house, or you can play worship like what we had this morning. You can be the best guitar player in the world, but if you pl- try and play guitar with this guitar, it's not going to work because there are no strings here. If there are no strings, you can become the world's best air guitarist. Anybody a good air guitarist? Maybe you can't play, but man, that one missing piece takes away the effectiveness. Now, some of you in here are late to everything, right? Sometimes I think it's a strategy, right? Your clock must look like this clock. If you put this clock up on your wall, guess what? You're always going to be on time right? A clock without hands is just a circle with numbers on it. One missing piece ruins the entire thing. Now, I know those examples are silly, and you look at that and you say, well, that's so obvious. How could you miss that? But it's not just stuff. Sports teams talk about the missing piece, that one player that could put them over the top and could win a championship, right? The Dallas Cowboys right now are going, man, we've got Jason Witten. We're going to win the Super Bowl. No, you're not. You're going to be mediocre again. Oh, that's, that's messed up, isn't it? Right? Businesses search for a competitive advantage, something that'll make them stand out from the competition. And whenever they... They discover that missing piece. They do whatever it takes to put that strategy in place. And it's often true in relationships as well. You've got a good marriage or a good friendship, but it just feels like there should be something more. You can't put your finger on it, but there's something missing. Have you ever had a nagging sense that something wasn't quite right? You should be happy and fulfilled. From the outside looking in, it looks like you've got everything you want, but you're not satisfied. You feel emptiness or you feel loneliness. You can't, you can't quite put your finger on it, but you know that there's something missing. See, there are so many pieces in life's puzzles, there's expectations. Right? Other people expect things from you. Your parents have ideas. Your spouse has plans. Your boss has plans. Your kids have expectations. Maybe even your neighbors have expectations. The reality is, it's exhausting trying to keep up and manage everybody else's expectations. How about family? Is family a a piece of your life? Right? It's a super important one. You've got parents or kids or grandkids. Maybe you're a a grandparent raising your kids, or maybe you're an older adult that's taking care of aging parents. Family can bring a lot of joy, but it can also bring a lot of stress. Work's one of life's pieces, isn't it? If you want stuff, you got to work. That's the way our system works. And, and if you want to buy things, you have to work. And if you're not working, then somebody else is working to give you what it is that you are trying to get. Self-worth. Self-worth is a major area of concern for some of you. You've got to manage your own self-doubts and yourself of your, your, your doubts, your guilt. You're trying to determine what gives you value. Whose voice are you listening to to tell you that you matter? For some of you, low self-esteem is a huge issue. Time, right? Those of you who need this clock... Time's a major issue. It doesn't seem like no matter what happens, you never have enough time to accomplish everything that you need to do. You're always five minutes behind, ten minutes behind, a week late and a dollar short. And so for some of us, time is a huge piece in life's puzzle. For others of us, it's friends. Now, how many of you guys know some friends are incredibly helpful? But some friends cause you more grief and anxiety than what it's worth. And so you have to manage that piece of your life. Another piece of life's puzzle is, is, is goals and dreams. You all have goals and dreams, right? You have things you want to do, places you want to go, things that you want to accomplish in life, right? You've got financial goals, you've got family goals, you've got career goals and Here's the thing with goals and dreams is goals and dreams change depending on the season of life that you're in. Marriage marriage is one of life's puzzle pieces. Some of you are married? Some of you aren't married and want to be married? Right? Some of you are married and don't want to be married. Don't look at your partner. Just... The, the reality is marriage is one of those things that is very stressful. Right, you, you strive to have a great marriage, but sometimes marriage just stinks. And if you don't learn to manage this one, then it can affect everything else in your life. For some of you, School's a life piece. You've got to go to school, right? That's what they tell you. You've got to go to school so you can get ready to what? To work. And... And school is stressful with standardized testing and all the pressures that we put on kids. And and some of the old people in the room, I've heard it said, well, these kids don't know what the pressure is. They don't know what it is. Can I just tell you, our kids have grown, they're growing up in a different world than we were. You know one thing we didn't have to worry about when I was growing up? We never had to worry about violence in school, right? But our our kids do. And, and with standardized testing and everything else, our kids are under an intense amount of pressure to perform, Money. Man, money is a big piece, isn't it? A lot of time it seems like there's never enough. Not only do you have to pay bills, but you got to plan for the future. You got to plan for emergencies. You got to plan for retirement. You got to plan for your kids' schooling. The reality is, money can be very, very stressful. And you've got to learn to manage all of those pieces. Now, you can probably name other pieces in your life. Your constant challenge is trying to figure out where and how each piece fits. If you get just one piece off, it doesn't quite work. No matter how hard you try, you can't keep it together. Do you know why? There's a missing piece. In most puzzles, the edge pieces are the most important. But in life's puzzle, the piece in the center is the one that matters the most. If you get the center wrong, nothing else works. Now, in their search to complete the puzzle of life and hold everything together, people try a lot of different things. Some people decide that more money is the missing piece. If they can just get enough money, everything else will fit together perfect. But you know that's not the case. Money doesn't make your marriage better. Money doesn't make your kids do right. Money doesn't make you feel better about yourself. Other people decide that that missing piece is a relationship. They search for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or a spouse to fill that empty place. If they can find just the right person, then everything will fit. The problem with that is you know better. Right? If you expect a person to fix everything that's a mess in your life, all you do is make a mess of that relationship too. Now, some people try searching for the missing piece by trying some wacky religions. On the internet, on the internet you can find people who worship just about anything. Plants, trees, animals, nature, aliens, dead ancestors. There's even a religion that worships a soccer player named Diego Maradona. Now, there's also Jediism, whose followers believe that the force is a reality in their life. The list goes on and on, but none of that is the missing piece. It just leads to more confusion. So what is the missing piece? I want to introduce you today to three characters in the Bible who were on that same search. Now, the first is Nicodemus. We find a story in John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Now, I want to pause the story right there because I believe that some background information will help you understand how significant this was. Nicodemus was the last person that you would expect to meet with Jesus because Nicodemus had it all. He belonged to a wealthy and important family. He was part of the old money of Jerusalem's ruling class. Nicodemus was also an elite scholar of Pharisee, and historians believe that he was also one of the most famous teachers in Jewish theological circles. If people had a question, they came to Nicodemus. Nicodemus had background. He was born into the right family, he had bucks, he inherited wealth, and he had brains. Nicodemus had the academic credentials to back up his position. And it was a powerful combination. But somehow it just wasn't enough. Nicodemus had a hole in his soul that that all the rules, all the religion, all the power, all the all the power couldn't fill in his life. In spite of all he had, of all he accomplished and all that he had obtained, Nicodemus was still empty and unfulfilled. There was something that was missing in his life. Now, Nicodemus had heard about Jesus, the miracles, the healings, and about his life-changing teachings. And as a group, the Pharisees had a lot of strong opinions about Jesus. But Nicodemus wanted to form his own opinion, and so he went straight to the source. Driven by curiosity, Nicodemus arranged a secret meeting with Jesus at night. Now, the Bible doesn't say But we've got a pretty good idea of why Nicodemus met with Jesus in secret. The Pharisees had decreed that anyone who followed Jesus would be banished from the temple. You see, if Nicodemus was seen with Jesus, he would lose his high leadership position and be banished from Jewish society. Nicodemus risked his position, his influence, and his status to meet with Jesus He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus, the master teacher, was touched by the curiosity of Nicodemus. Nicodemus asked his questions, and then Jesus, for the first time, revealed the entire truth of his earthly assignment to someone who wasn't even a believer. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus didn't just die for Americans, he didn't just die for one segment of society. Jesus came and died that anyone who ever put their faith in him could find eternal life. If Jesus loved enough and died for whoever, for anyone, then we cannot eliminate anyone from his love or our love. Jesus died for all men. Every soul matters to God. It doesn't matter who you are, what you have, or what you've done. Jesus' love is available to you. Maybe you thought that Jesus was for the desperate, the down and the outers, people that have failed and have nowhere else to turn. Listen, that's simply not true. Nicodemus had it all. He was wealthy, he was influential, and he was important. But all of the stuff, all of the fame, all of the knowledge wasn't enough. There was something missing. And for Nicodemus, that something was Jesus. The second story I want to look at is found in the next chapter, John chapter 4. It's the story of the Samaritan woman who was a lifelong loser. She couldn't find fulfillment. She had been married five times and was living with another man. Her past was littered with the debris of failed relationships. It was an endless string of being used. She was a reject, an outcast. She was the one who was the bad influence. She was the person that everyone avoided. One day she walked to the well for water. Lonely and alone. Hope was gone. She was just going through the motions, but it was all pointless. But that day, everything changed because Jesus was at the well. Jesus knew all about her. He knew what she was. He, he knew what she had done. He knew she wasn't accepted in her community. Even though she was a loser, a reject, and an outcast, Jesus talked to her. Now, she knew this was an unusual moment because Jews didn't talk to Samaritan, especially a Jewish man would never talk to a Samaritan woman. But when Jesus saw the Samaritan woman alone at the well, he ignored the rules in order to be compassionate and establish a relationship. See, Jesus was not and is not prejudiced. God doesn't have an exclusive race of people that he prefers. God sent Jesus to die for all men that none should perish. Jesus is for everyone. A a true follower of Jesus cannot be prejudiced. There's no such thing as a prejudiced or racist Christian because every time you act in prejudice, you're devaluing a soul for whom God died. We cannot disqualify anyone from Jesus' love and our love because of their age, their race, their skin color, their background, their immigration status, or their social position. We must extend God's love to all men and demonstrate the compassion of Jesus in everything that we do. Now, the Samaritan woman did have hope, even if it was in the distant future. See, she had given up on happiness in this life, but she had studied the Old Testament and knew that one day a Messiah would come. She knew that on that day, all of her hurts would be healed. All her emptiness would be filled. She was looking forward to him. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Jesus revealed to a Samaritan woman with a disgraceful past, that he was the Messiah, what she had been looking for. He was the answer to her endless search. You see, Jesus didn't just love the rich and the famous or the successful like Nicodemus, Jesus also loves the outcast. Regardless of how many times you've messed up or the mistakes you've made, Jesus loves you. When no one else cares, Jesus cares. When people have let you down, when there's nowhere to turn, when you're ready to give up on life, when happiness can't be found, there is Jesus. Jesus is not one of many answers. He's not an answer. Jesus is the answer. I want to show you one more person in the very next chapter, John chapter 5. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, in which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me in the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. You see, the invalid had never heard about Jesus. He didn't know anything about him. He was waiting for an angel to visit the pool and to stir the water. But when Jesus came, everything changed. He was healed and made whole. Jesus was the answer piece that he had been searching for. Now, let me go back to the puzzle of life. You're trying all kinds of things to make everything fit together. But somehow, life never seems complete. Something's missing. Here's the lesson from Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, and the invalid. Whether you've got it all, whether you've lost it all, or whether you never had it, Jesus is the missing piece. With Him at the center, everything else changes. You might ask, well, Jason, how's that possible? Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. How can he be the missing piece now? You see, Jesus' followers believed that he was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the missing piece not just for their lives, but for the whole world, for anyone who believed. But then Jesus died. He was cruelly beaten, he was tortured, and he was crucified on a cross. And when that happened, even though Jesus predicted that it would, his followers were disappointed and disillusioned. Hope was gone. Jesus was defeated. They were discouraged, and they were depressed. That is, until three days later, on a day that we call Easter, They went to the tomb and they discovered that Jesus was not there. Suddenly everything changed. Disappointment turned to joy. Hopelessness turned to hope. The disciples saw an empty tomb. Jesus was not defeated. He was alive. And soon after, Jesus appeared to Mary and then to all the disciples. They saw a live person, Jesus, in the flesh, which let them know that the empty tomb wasn't a result of grave robbers or body snatching. Later, Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once. Hope all of a sudden was reborn. All of Jesus' words and promises were true. You see, the empty tomb gives us that same hope. It reminds us that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus defeated the ultimate enemy, death, when he came out of that tomb on Easter. The proof is his power. If Jesus can overcome death, he has the power to change your life. Now listen, when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus... When you invite him to be the center of your life, suddenly everything fits. Jesus has a plan for your family. When he's at the center, you're able to overcome obstacles and be filled with love when it's hard. Jesus has a plan for your marriage. A couple that together is committed to him has hope and a purpose. Jesus has a plan for your work. He has a plan for your money. He has a plan for for your schedule. Jesus can change your goals and your dreams, and instead of being self-centered, you can be focused on making a difference for others. Jesus helps bring peace To the pressure of expectations. Jesus changes your self picture. That low sense of self worth comes from trying to decide whose opinion of you matters. No longer do you have to base your worth and your value on what other people think. He loved you enough to die for you. That's how much you're worth. Now listen, can I promise you a worry-free, pressure-free, and trouble-free life with Jesus? No. Can I guarantee you that you won't have any more problems? And I simply can't make that promise to you because it would be a lie. Jesus never promised any of that. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus didn't promise the absence of trouble. Instead, he promised peace in the middle of it. With him at the center, every area of your life won't immediately be perfected, but he fits. And with him... Everything else fits together. His peace, His love changes every other piece of your life. Now, listen, there is no other piece that can change every other piece. And life's puzzle only works with Jesus at the center. When you begin to put Jesus at the center of your life, you begin to prioritize him in everything you do. It's gonna make your family stronger. Can I tell you I'm a better dad, I'm a better husband, I'm a better friend because of Jesus. When Jesus is at the center of your life, it makes work so much more bearable, especially if you work in an environment that's tough. Because just maybe Jesus sent you there to shine the light of himself that's in you out to them. That they would see Jesus being the center of who you are. All of a sudden, when you've got Jesus in the center of your life, your goals and your dreams begin to transform for something bigger than yourself. When Jesus is the center of your life it changes your finances now am i telling you that if you put jesus at the center of your life that you're gonna win a million dollars you're gonna have an inheritance of five billion and 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 you're gonna wake up in the morning and you're gonna have gold in your bed no i'm not telling you that because that's stupid but what i am telling you is when you've got jesus at the center of your life, all of a sudden it changes how you view money. It also changes how you spend your time. You see, there are two ways that you can tell what someone has at the center of their life. The first way is with their wallet. Give me five minutes, let me look at your bank account, and I can tell what you value and what you prioritize in your life based on what you spend. The other way that I can tell you if Jesus is at the center is how you spend your time. Here's what I know is we do the things we want to do. And if we don't want to do something, you know what we make? Excuses. Anybody ever invited you to go to do something and you didn't want to do it and you you came up with an excuse? You didn't even have to look very hard to find that excuse, did you? You're like, oh man, I'm sorry, I got to... Shave my legs? What? Okay, wash my hair? I got to walk the dog that you haven't walked in months? And all of a sudden you make up these excuses. But when it's something you want to do, you'll rearrange your entire schedule to make it happen. When Jesus is the center of your life, it begins to change everything. It begins to spill out into the other areas. Every Sunday I pray that we would be more and more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. And that tomorrow we'd be more like him than we were today. Why? Because I know with Jesus at the center of our lives, it changes everything. I wanna pray for you today. Would you bow your heads with me? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Jason, there's an area in my life, man, that's really out of place. I've been struggling in that area and things haven't been working. But all of a sudden I see the connection that I have to get Jesus back at the center of my life. Maybe you've never made the decision to invite Jesus to be at the center of your life. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you because you've been looking, you've been searching, and nothing has filled that space. But Jesus will. Will everything be perfect? Will everything be easy? Is everything going to be wonderful? I can't promise you that. But what I can promise you is that Jesus will walk with you every step of the way. And he will be in peace in the middle of life struggles. I want to pray with you today. If you'd say, Pastor Jason, would you pray with me? Because I really need to put Jesus at the center of my life. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer. I want to pray with you. Maybe you've just let something else become more important than Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to call you up front. I'm not going to make you come down, but I just want to pray with you that God would help you put Jesus back at the center of your life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for sending your son. God, thank you that he died for us. But God, thank you that he didn't stay dead. That on the third day, he rose again. God, we thank you for Jesus. God, in this Easter weekend, we are reminded about what's important. God, and we pray that you would help us to put Jesus at the center of our lives. God, maybe for some in here who have never made that declaration, that have never invited you to to be the center of their life, God, that today that that decision would would be founded in you. God, that it would be built in you. God, for those that have made that decision before, but maybe they've let other things Take more importance in their life. God, as they recalibrate their lives and they put Jesus back in the center, God, I pray your blessings over them. God, that as they try to put Jesus back in the center of their life, God, that it would begin to affect every area of their lives. God, that it would affect their family. God, it would affect their work, their self worth, their friends, their time. God, it would affect their money, their marriage. God, it would affect their goals and dreams. God, that when they focus back on you, God, that it would change. Everything in their life. God, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.